Well, hello there, everyone. Welcome to my podcast. My name is Corey, and I got a lot to talk about this week. I'm all worked up right now because, well, I have a lot of things. First of all, it, the immediate thing is that I just got done watching one of the movies that I'm talking about this week, and man, it was so good. Oh, oh I was so happy about it. But uh, the other thing I'm worked up about, and it's actually in the uh, process of kind of working out right now is that uh, last night, late last night, I discovered that my laptop uh, had some kind of problem. Uh, basically, a Trojan horse decided to uh, rip through a bunch of my programs and uh, really wreak havoc on my system. So I've been trying to remedy that. Basically, I've decided, well, I'll just save off all the content that I have, all the data that I have on my computer that I want to keep, and then I'll just reformat my computer uh, do a clean install of Windows, that's good for your system uh, every once in a while. I like to try to completely wipe out all the computers that I have about once a year, if possible. Um, but uh, So I figured this is a really good time to do that with this computer, because uh, there's a lot of damage. So <laughs> I'm in the process of uh, reinstalling Windows and setting up all the drivers and things like that, and it looks like it's pretty much doing its thing. But uh, I, I may be a little distracted as I watch the progress go. I have my little green progress bar on the screen right now, and we'll just hope for the best. Hope for the best. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, uh, yeah. So that was a big problem. I was, I was a bit distracted this week, but that's okay because uh, I, I have so much to talk about. I watched a bunch of movies this week. Uh, I wrote a bunch of songs this week. Man, I, I was so productive. Look how cool I am. <laughs> No, I'm not trying to say, look how great I am, because really I'm nothing special at all. I'm just like you, uh, yeah, which is scary. <laughs> but no, no, no. Um, okay, okay, let me talk here. The uh, Italian zombie movie, I recommend that you go see it. This is the official podcast of the Italian zombie movie. And uh, let me tell you, you're in for a treat if uh, you watch parts one and two and uh, coming here at some point, part three. So yeah, I recommend it. TheItalianZombieMovie.com. Of course, my own website is MidnightCorey.com. All kinds of weird stuff there, usually, whenever I decide to post stuff, which hasn't been recently. <laughs> oh, well. Oh, I've been making my movie. Uh, still haven't posted a video update like I said I would last week, of course. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I, I am still making it. I've been shooting scenes. I, I, I did. I attempted one of the heavier um, uh, violent scenes the other day, and uh, it required a lot of makeup. I basically had to build some wounds onto myself, and uh, that was a little, uh, a little weird. Uh, basically, uh, yeah, yeah, I, I, I didn't get what I wanted with that. I was having problems with the uh, the makeup itself, and then also uh, camera positioning and lighting for it. It was a big mess. Oh man, but there is progress being made. I'm just—it's very slow going for me because I've—I've I've never done this, and I'm a perfectionist. Ah, oh, yeah, yeah. And if anything at all bothers me uh, about what I've been shooting or anything, I'll—I'll I'll go and reshoot it because I want it to be as as good as possible, you know. So, 
yeah, what can you do? But uh, yeah, that's still going on. I will hopefully post a video update to YouTube here soon. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, things are so busy. I'm going to Cinema Wasteland this weekend. The following weekend is the Eerie Horror Film Festival. And uh, so I'm, a, I'm busy. I'm just all over the place. But you know that. You know that. So, okay. What am I going to be talking about this week? Well, like I promised you last week, uh, I'm going to be talking about the 1957 movie Voodoo Island. It's Boris Karloff. Uh, the, you know, we're getting into the 50s zombie movies. I've talked about the 30s, the 40s. Uh, we've gone through all of that and kind of, uh, you know, where the zombie movie has come from and what its history has been in cinema. And it's been quite weird so far as we started off in the Caribbean and then uh, the zombie thing was kind of brought into the States a little bit and other parts of the world even. And, uh, and then the zombie comedy started up and uh, we saw a lot of just clones of zombie comedies coming out and uh, things got pretty bad. So into the 50s here, we're seeing a little bit of the space age come into effect. Uh, we're seeing uh, yeah, a lot of changes in film. So uh, Voodoo Island, yeah, what's that one all about? <sighs> well, I'll let you know. Uh, also, oh, um, before I go on with the other ones I'm going to talk about, um, just in relation to that, I wanted to make a correction of uh, something I mentioned last week, which was Zombies of the Stratosphere. That was a movie that uh, was actually pulled together from the different parts of the serial. This was a serial, you know, they showed little short films before the feature films back in the day in the theater. And uh, Zombies of the Stratosphere was one of those. There was a whole bunch of parts to it. I think like 12 or 14, something like that. And uh, so every week you would show up to the to the movie theater and you'd get to see the next part. Well, they released them all as, as one single huge, like, three-hour thing or whatever. And they also made a pared-down version of it as a feature film in and of itself. So it was like 90 minutes. I haven't been able to find either one of those, but I began thinking about it. And uh, first of all, my correction from last week is that uh, it was not a radio drama or a radio show. As I may have said, I don't remember if I said that or not, but I may have told you that I thought it was a radio drama, and that's completely wrong. It was a, a film serial, and uh, I have actually seen it before. I began thinking about this, and back uh, when I was still living at my parents' house, I was in college, and I'd come home, and uh, I would love to go to the video store, the video rental place, uh, the coolest one in my town. It was called Vicky's. And uh, oh, they just had everything. But the, the deal at the time was you rent five movies for five days for five bucks. And the general stock, the new releases were a little bit more. But uh, they had all kinds of horror. And this is still VHS. DVDs weren't in existence yet. So I would go and literally several times a week, I'd go and rent five movies. And uh, this was one of them because I rent so many movies. I rented so many movies that, uh, you know, I started kind of scraping the bottom of the barrel. <laughs> and uh, Zombies of the Stratosphere was one of the ones that I decided to pick up. And I did watch it, uh, and I don't remember liking it at all. I remember that it sucked. I may have fallen asleep during it, but that was, oh, man, maybe maybe 15 years ago when I saw it. Yeah, pretty rough. So I, I, I'm not sad that, uh, you know, I, I didn't get to see it this time around when I'm going through. But yeah, Zombies of the Stratosphere really has nothing to do with zombies. Uh, it, it's more about aliens invading, and uh, they mention the word zombie, I think, once whenever they refer to these aliens as zombies. So yeah, that's all there is. So, <laughs> okay, let's move on. Other things I'm going to be talking about, um, the things I want to talk about immediately is part of the 
goodness that I got from my friends at Aero Video. Aero Video, of course, out of the UK, make a bunch of just awesome releases. Uh, they sent me a bunch of Dario Argento films uh, here back towards the beginning of the year. And now this week, they really hooked me up. I'm going to be talking about The Horde from 2010, French movie, uh, originally called La Horde because it was French, but uh, being released in English as The Horde. This is uh, Aero Video. Um, yeah, I'm going to review that later on in the show. But they also sent me the new releases of Dawn of the Dead, 78, Day of the Dead, 1985. These are two wonderfully, wonderfully beautiful releases. Now, these are Region 2. These are in the UK. But, uh, man, I'll, I'll tell you what. These are, these are worth picking up, and let me tell you why. Uh, first of all, Day of the Dead, 1985. Uh, features on this one, it's uh, two discs, two DVDs, and these are also available on Blu-ray, so you can get them there too. But uh, the features on this include audio commentary by the special effects team members Greg Nicotero, Harold Berger, Everett Burl, and Mike Deke. Joe of the Dead documentary, Travelogue of the Dead, The Many Days of Day of the Dead documentary, Behind the Zombies footage, the Romero zombography, photo albums, souvenirs from uh, a bunch of the movies from Night and Dawn, um, all kinds of things. But let me tell you what else. Uh, two sleeve art options, so you can actually flip the sleeve, and there's great, great artwork. It's a double-sided fo fold-out poster included also. Um, a, uh, a mini comic book called Day of the Dead Desertion, which features a new Bub storyline, which is very interesting. And for every dawn, there is a day collector's booklet. The packaging in this is unrivaled. This is a thing of beauty. Like I said, comes with a poster, comes with a comic book, and uh, the, the new artwork, I believe this is new artwork. I've never seen this before, but it's a painting of the hands coming through the cinder block wall you know what I'm talking about. It's the one uh, with Lori Cardill's character uh, when she's having that dream where the, all the zombie hands come through the wall. This is an artist painting of that very, uh, very scene. And it's gorgeous. It's gorgeous. This also appears on the poster. Let's move on to Dawn of the Dead. This Dawn of the Dead, um, as actually is true with Day of the Dead, the Day of the Dead release is pretty much like uh, the one that was released. Oh, I, I can't remember the name. Vaughn reviewed it on uh, on his video cast that he does on YouTube. But uh, you see a lot of the same things on here that you do on that one, except you get a lot of cool stuff with this one. The packaging is so great, and the poster, and the comic. But uh, the same is true for Dawn of the Dead. This is basically a lot like the Ultimate Edition that was released in the States and a lot of places over, uh, across the world. Uh, the Ultimate Edition of Dawn of the Dead includes three different cuts of the movie, as well as a bunch of extras. It's a four-disc thing. Well, this Dawn of the Dead also includes the George A. Romero-approved theatrical cut, uh, plus audio commentary by Romero, Savini, and uh, Chris Romero. Uh, audio commentary by Richard Rubenstein, uh, Document of the Dead documentary, The Lost Interview, Deleted Scenes, Fan of the Dead, The Director's Cut of the Feature Presentation, uh, which is George Romero. It's not the theatrical cut. Director's Cut is also included. Um, the Dead Will Walk documentary, and also the Argento cut of Dawn of the Dead, uh, on top of U.S. and German trailers, uh, TV radio spots, blah, 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 all kinds of uh, a, a Savini documentary, but uh, also four sleeve art options, which are all great. Uh, uh, once again, a double-sided fold-out poster, as uh, the uh, Day of the Dead had, 
and um, for every night there is a dawn collector's booklet um, and uh, again brand new artwork for this one this is flyboy uh, zombie flyboy with a horde of zombies behind him and this is beautiful done it looks like it's done by the same artist as uh, who did uh, the Day of the Dead artwork that I was just talking about. And the other uh, options are theatrical posters, original posters uh, that are printed on here. Packaging is great. Oh, man, these are fantastic releases. Uh, thank you. Thank you to Arrow Video for sending these over. I pop these in and they look just as good as the packaging promises. Oh, man, I just can't get me enough of Dawn. 1978 and day 85. I'll tell you what, these are great. I definitely go recommend that you pick them up. You're going to need a region 2 or a region free DVD player in order to watch these. But uh, it is well worth it. And they both go for um, about 20 pounds, which is uh, maybe uh, like 25 American dollars. Right around there. I don't know. I uh, don't have the calculation, like the converter calculator in front of me right now. And Lahord is $15.99, so about 16 pounds for that, which is well worth it. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll talk about the Horde later. Anyhow. <laughs> uh, man, uh, another movie I'm talking about. I just, I'm talking about all kinds of great, great, wonderful movies this week. Um, is my Netflix recommendation available on Instant Watch. I'm going to talk about It's Alive, 1974. So, yeah, yeah, I recommend that you see that, and I'll be giving my review a little bit later on in the show. Two, count them, two beer reviews this week, and uh, some voicemails, and uh, yes sorry, original music. Oh boy, oh boy, it's a big party. It's a big, happy party. Streamers and confetti flying. Oh boy, oh boy, yeah, yeah. Excitement, excitement, that's what I call it. <laughs> Let me read you an email that I got from my friend Carnage Cake. You guys know Carnage Cake. Awesome fella. He says, Your description of demonic toys sounded like a child's play or a puppet master movie. I don't know if you've seen either from back in the day, but if you have, can you make a connection? Well, yes, Carnage Cake. Um, I could make the connection. I have seen both of those. But it has been so long since I've seen uh, Child's Play or the Puppet Master that uh, I don't think I could make a really fair judgment on that. Um, I do... It, see, it's been so long that the only things I remember is that I thought they were cheesy at the time. I, I was really actually scared by uh, Child's Play uh, back when I saw it, when I was, you know, in like sixth grade or something like that. Uh, but again, I don't remember a lot of specifics about it. And the same holds true for Puppet Master. Saw it so long ago that uh, I, I don't know. So... I'm going to watch both of those. I put them both on my Netflix instant queue because they're available for instant watch. And uh, then I will be able to answer your question uh, a lot better <laughs> than I did now. But uh, Carnage Cake, thank you for writing in. Now, uh, things going on, things going on in the world. I want to tell you about Eric S. Brown's newest effort, Season of Death. You remember uh, Season of Rot. I reviewed it uh, a while back on that other podcast, and of course, you know Eric S. Brown. I've had him on this show. I've had him on all kinds of other shows. Great guy. Great writer. Well, he sent this along with uh, information about his release of Season of Death. Eric S. Brown returns to the zombie genre with his new hardcover collection of novellas, which will leave readers knowing that there is no escape from the flesh-eating hordes who are about to bring an end to the world as we know it. 
Four novellas from Eric S. Brown, author of Season of Rot from Permuted Press, and War of the Worlds plus Blood, Guts, and Zombies from Simon & Schuster. Now, here are the novellas in Season of Death. Undead Down Under, straight after his adventures in Season of Rot, Kyle returns to lead the new British Empire into a head-on war with the crocodile demons who rule Australia. Will he be victorious against the decaying undead minions? Canberra Down, a sci-fi horror fest set on a glacier-covered alien planet. The crew of Kinbera Emergency lands on a life-sustaining planet in the uncharted wilds of outer space. The icy world is teeming with terrifying creatures desperate for human flesh. Will the unlucky crew of Kinbera survive the Arctic planet? Or will the snow-burrowing monsters satisfy their hunger by feasting on the survivors of the starship? How the West Went to Hell a book editor travels to Reaper's Valley, a small town set in the Wild West, to finish the macabre manuscript of a recently deceased novelist. He arrives by stagecoach, where he is introduced to a classic bevy of characters who will join in the fight against the yellow-eyed demon body snatchers overtaking Reaper's Valley. A gun-toting, six-gun-blazing tip of the hat to both the horror and western genre. And finally, Ragnarok's Island. In a world ruled by the dead, humans are held captive in breeding programs designed to feed the hungry zombie masses. Scott survives the sinking of the Queen, a naval vessel, and finds himself caught up in a new war against the dead on the high seas. But one small island outpost, Ragnarok's Island, may hold the key to the final victory over the dead. Ooh, yeah, a lot of these are sequels to what we saw in Season of Rot, and uh, this sounds really exciting. So uh, hopefully I'm going to have Mr. Eric S. Brown back on the show at some point to talk about Season of Death, but you're going to want to check that out. Also, last thing that I have to uh, tell you about here is an article that I got from my friend Victor. He actually sent this last week, and uh, I forgot to read it. So, yeah, sorry, Victor. <laughs> Anyhow, this is a really cool article. Uh, it's called How to Make a Zombie Haiti Style. This is an article that actually I am so grateful that he sent over because it's kind of an overview of uh, zombie film in history, and it goes back to the roots, just like I'm doing now, which is really, really cool, and I'm glad you sent this over uh, because I'm really interested in film history and where things came from, how people used to make films from back in the day, and this is a fantastic article. Uh, I, I, I think you ought to go read it. I'm going to put the link up in the show notes. But uh, thank you, Victor, for uh, turning me on to this. This is from AOLnews.com. These things happen, Frank. You know O'Connor's down in accounting. He's got a retarded kid. Insists on keeping him in the house, too. Well, nobody thinks a thing of that. Nobody blames him. We're not, we're not talking about a retarded kid. And you know it. And we're talking about a monstrosity of some kind. Hey, this week I got for you twice as many beer reviews as I normally give you. First one coming from my friend North Cow Mike. My beer of choice on this Friday night, while I wait for some house guests to arrive, is Asylum. A Belgian-style triple ale brewed at Left Coast Brewing Company in San Clemente, California. I bought a pint in a bottle and have poured it into a chilled bass ale glass, as is usually my preferred drinking condition for any non-water beer. The design on the bottle reminds me a lot of Arkham Asylum's gates from Batman. The design and logo are white with a blue shadow and background. There's a closed gate with a brick tower on each side, topped off with a gargoyle. 
Behind the gate in the horizon is a cloudy sky with a few lightning strikes coming down. Basically, this design is friggin' awesome. And I'll admit that I'm a sucker to trying out beers with awesome logos. Marketing whores deserve a bonus on this one. Once the beer was poured, the color is an orangish tan, almost light brown, with a white head. The aroma's pretty strong, I could smell the sweetness oozing out of the bottle as I poured. Once the beer was poured to the brim, I could smell a strong scent of citrus and a lighter hint of wheat, which is pretty common for Belgian brews. Let me say up front, this is one of those beers that a lot of people will put down in disgust after the first sip. The flavor literally smacks you in the mouth with no regard. If this is what you did, let me beg you to reconsider and pick it back up for another go-around. Once your taste buds adjust, you'll really appreciate the way the slight bitterness counteracts with the initial punch of sweetness. Once you're a few sips, or a few chugs if you're me, into the beer, the taste should really start to sizzle. This is a great beer, whether you're looking for an after-work relaxer, or you need something to kick off a Friday night of drinking. Oh wait, that's me. The alcohol content is a whopping 11%, meaning you won't need too many before you might feel like you are locked up on the other side of those asylum gates on the logo. I give this beer a 4.5 gargoyles out of 5. North Cow Mike. Alright, thank you Mike for that awesome beer review. Next we move on to my friend Brian in Colorado. Given the season, I thought it would be interesting to try Sierra Nevada's estate-made beer, Chico Estate Harvest Ale. Sierra Nevada is one of the older microbrews, started back in 1979 by founder Ken Grossman. Like many microbrew owners, Grossman began as a home brewer, making five-gallon batches in his home. Later, Grossman and co-founder Paul Camusi cobbled together some salvage brewing equipment from other breweries and a soft drink company and began brewing their beer. From those humble beginnings, Sierra Nevada, named for the mountain range near their home in Chico, California, became a huge success story. Their new brewery features a 350-seat big room for tasting beers while listening to live music. How cool is that? Chico Estate Ale was inspired by the wine industry. Local wineries depend on the individual flavor characteristics taken from the local environment for the unique flavor of the wine. Chico Estate uses the hops and barley grown on-site at the brewery. Nothing is imported. Everything comes from a field next to the brewery. This may be the first beer specifically brewed to reflect the soil and climate of a specific location. The field rests at the convergence of the Sierra Nevada and Cascade Mountains, and the soil has a volcanic past. That alone made me curious. Chico Estate Ale pours clear, an amber color with hints of red. The aroma reminded me of pine and hops. The thick head stuck around forever. At the first sip, I went back to the label. This is a wet hopped ale with a ton of hop flavor up front. The aftertaste has a pleasant spicy pine flavor. This clear drinkable ale had just a touch of citrus. The brew reminded me of American IPA style beers. Here's a confession. I don't generally like Sierra Nevada ales. To my tongue, they border on commercial brews. So I went into this experiment with low expectations. But what a nice surprise. Chico Estate Ale is a true seasonal beer tied to the harvest rhythms of a specific location. The beer is smooth and drinkable, and the mouthful of hops, though not extreme, pop on the tongue in a most pleasant way. On the Midnight Quarry scale, I give Chico Estate Ale a surprising 8.5. This may be my best new beer find this year. Brian in Colorado. Greetings, folks, uh, and hey, folks, what's happening, man? 
Hey, it's Ben Hammercon. Um, you know, I listen to the podcast a lot when I'm at work, and sometimes I have the intent to call with um, a message, and this is one of those times where I had a whole bunch of things on my mind, and I totally forgot all of them. The only thing that I um, can remember to actually say in this message is uh, Spooky Girl getting to conventions. Um, my prediction is that when Spooky Girl gets to a convention, I will also be there. Because he and I are in the same predicament. We both work a ton of hours and have a lot of stuff going on outside of our jobs. So the opportunity to jump states and go to a horror convention um, is not very closely. Uh, I was supposed to get to uh, Horror Realm, and even though I had put my time in off like four months in advance, when uh, the schedule came up for that time period, I saw that I had to work that weekend. So, yep. Three cheers for getting fucking me ass by the boss. Not literally. Uh, you know what I mean. <laughs> all right. Uh, but yeah, I think that's all I really had to say. And shit, there's something about Zombieland. Oh, 3D movies. Yeah, 3D movies. Um, in my opinion, the last great 3D movie was Jaws 3D. Uh, ever since then, 3D movies have been bonk. All right. And I'm putting that out there. Um, the last great 3D movie was Jaws 3D. Everything after that has been trying to live up to Jaws 3D. I'm just saying. Maybe it's because I was like four years old and my dad worked in a theater and I got to see Jaws 3D like every day with the cool Jaws glasses. But ever since then, movies are in 3D are just like feeding on the hype. You know, like I didn't see Avatar specifically because of all the hype that was involved with it. And then it's like, they have to have a 3D version of it. It's like, you're hyping a movie enough, and then you're throwing a 3D version out there. Sure, everyone's saying it's great, but it's just like, fucking hype, dude. You know? Um, it's all other movies are in 3D. Pretty much everything. Every movie, why don't they just release everything in 3D and then charge you a couple extra bucks so you can see some, like, bunk-ass fucks, you know? But, whatever. That's just me. <laughs> Bitching about 3D movies. And, yeah. And Spooky Girl's awesome, and you're awesome, and I'll catch you guys later. Bad hammer out. Back to work. Later. Good morning, Corey. Voice Mail Doug. And Midnight Corey. It's Bad Hammer Colin. Um, I just woke up, and I'm not fully awake, but something just occurred to me, and I wanted to bring it up. And I knew that if I waited, I'd forget all about it. Um, Corey, as you've been watching all these older movies, um, and I was thinking about this too. I listened to a few of the back episodes. Um, so some of the, I, I was thinking about all the movies being like uh, Caribbean zombie movies and, and from like the 1930s to like straight down through to the 40s. And in the 50s it becomes more of like the nuclear zombies. Um, I think there's a huge impact of what was going on culturally at the time. Um, yeah, I think you hit that now here in the head when you mentioned, like, you know, the whole, um, the nuclear scare and, like, the Cold War and everything that goes on with that. Um, you do mention that here, I don't imagine that. But, um, like, in the 30s and 40s with all the Caribbean zombies, uh, I was thinking, like, um, a lot of those movies actually were filmed in that area or, you know, an area similar to that. Uh, enough that, it looks apart, and a lot of people that watch those movies wouldn't have the chance 
in my lifetime um, because of everything that was going on in America, the finances, actually pick up and take off at the Caribbean. So, um, seeing, you know, Caribbean zombies in a movie might be the only chance ever to see um, these, you know, fabled islands of zombies, you know. So, in, in a way, that was really cool um, to let people see more of the world, but also to tell a really cool story um, that might um, be lost in translation of time. You know, like, um, you look at comedies back then, and all the comedy was, like, a different style because people found different shit funny. And, like, um, you look at movies from the 50s, and there's, uh, just watch the way people interact. It was a whole different interaction. And I feel that if a movie can hold up and, you know, maybe a three out of ten movie um, back in the day that might have been, you know, a seven out of ten. It's just the difference of um, what's happened in time. And I'm not sure because, you know, from everything you said about that movie, of all the singing and shit, I'd probably still do that for the ad time even back then. But, you know, I, it's just something that I've been stewing on, thinking about, and I wanted to call him and mention. Um, but I wonder how in, you know, 50 years, um, <laughs> how will uh, the Dawn of the Dead remake hold up, you know, in 50 years? Will people say, oh, man, I can't believe these people, like, you know, whatever, I don't know. I can't go for some of the that, but, yeah. <laughs> Thanks, man. I'm not really saying that. So, but then I hear this message, I'll probably laugh at it. So, um, and thank you all, Midnight Podcast, or Midnight Glory listeners, for uh, dealing with my sleepy ass. All right. I'm going back to bed. Hey, Badhammer. Great to hear from you again, man. Um, let's see. I'm going to try to address everything that you talked about. First of all, I totally understand your thing about going to conventions and that uh, you're rarely able to pull that off. Uh, yeah, I completely understand. I'm barely able anymore to, to pull that off, really, to be honest with you. And if it wasn't for the fact that uh, they're within, you know, an hour or two of here, I, I wouldn't be able to get to them at all. I know there's one, you know, Jason from SRS uh, always asked me to go out to ones that are in uh, New Jersey, which would be, you know, probably like a six-hour, seven-hour drive for me. But, uh, you know, that's that's too much. And uh, I know that it would be quite a drive for you as well. And, uh, yeah, what can you do? Um, and uh, <laughs> Jaws 3D, you know, um, I'm glad you're on board with me about, you know, kind of bucking the whole current 3D trend because it's not going to last. It's not going to live long. It's going to wear out. People will get tired of the gimmick. But, uh, yeah, so, um, but uh, Jaws 3D, that's one I haven't seen in a long time, long time. Very, very interesting. And I appreciate, you know, Badhammer, I, I, I neglect saying this a lot of times, but you are a very, very intelligent guy. Um, I know, oh man, years ago you submitted um, something that you wrote to Dr. Puss that he read on uh, Library of the Living Dead about uh, zombies and the history of zombies and things like that. And it was fantastic. I mean, it was really well thought out and uh, a great, great thing. So, uh, you know, when you start talking about how a lot of these older zombie films were so much more impactful, I think, back when they were made, like in the 40s, the 30s, you know, 50s, things like that, um, uh, you're absolutely right. You know, I think there is a lot lost 
because things were so different in our culture back then, and we uh, we just don't get it. And that's why I try to appreciate the little things like that. I try to appreciate where things have come from and what was going on at that time. You know, what were people thinking about at that time? What was the big the big mindset? You know, what, what were the issues? And uh, because so many times that bubbles over into the movies that we see. So yeah, you're absolutely right. Bad Hammer, once again, you're you're a great fella. You're a great fella. I appreciate all your kind words. And uh, I, I do appreciate you listening to my little podcast here. Attention, please. Flight 303, Hawaiian Airlines, now roading at gate two. Paging Miss Claire Winters with Syrup Night Party. Telephone message at communication office. All right, now it's time to talk about this mess of a movie that they called Voodoo Island. <laughs> Oh, they they put this out in 1957, and this movie was actually very hard for me to find. I really spent a long time figuring out where to get this, and uh, finally found a, a website that posted the entire movie where you could watch it for free. So, I don't know. Um, but uh, I regret spending so much time looking for this and watching it. Um, despite all the bad things that I read about it, I was kind of optimistic that maybe Boris Karloff could at least hold my interest here, but, uh, oh boy, oh boy. Uh, Boris Karloff plays a man that goes around debunking hoaxes in this film. Uh, he, he debunks things that people think are paranormal things that are unexplained things, UFOs and the Loch Ness Monster, things like that. So, uh, at the beginning of the movie, he's hired by this man who's building a hotel resort on some small island in the South Pacific. Uh, apparently, this entrepreneur had uh, sent a group of people to the island to begin to plan the resort and to draft things out, but only one of them ever returned. And he's a zombie. Quote, zombie. Uh, he, all he does is sit there and stare as this blank stare into space. And actually, to be honest with you, this guy's blank stare and the way he acted was uh, the coolest thing about the movie. You know, it was so empty. And uh, coupled with the very, very spooky theremin. Oh yeah, you know a movie's spooky when you got the theremin going on. <laughs> so that was the only thing. Karloff even wasn't that great. Oh, oh. So eventually they go back down to the island because uh, this guy's afraid that it's voodoo and it's uh, you know the, the the natives doing this magic against them. So he wants to send Karloff's character down to debunk the whole voodoo thing and see what really is going on here. So they all get down to the island. A lot of weird things happen. They encounter some voodoo. They encounter hostile natives. And, <laughs> hey, whoa, they encounter man-eating plants. Uh, yeah, this was horrible. This was a horrible movie. It, it, it made me think of an Ed Wood movie without the charm of an Ed Wood movie. It really did. Um, the uh, man-eating plants were terrible. They were very unthreatening. You basically had to fall on them uh, in order for them to get you, or um, you had to be swimming in the pond where they happened to be floating around, and then they would get you. <sighs> oh, yeah, just nothing that threatening. The natives were uh, kind of medium-threatening. Yeah, not that much. Like I said, 
the only thing of interest was this zombie guy. Actually, and there's another one later on who he uh, turns into a, quote, zombie and has this blank stare and just walks around all retarded and brain dead. And, uh, of course, there's the theremin. So yeah, but basically it takes forever for anything at all to happen. It's a lot of talking, uh, but uh, just the whole thing seems very, very uninspired. You know, and I even I even know Karloff himself hated this one, uh, as did a lot of the people who, who made the movie. Um, <laughs> I've read that nobody is particularly proud of this movie whatsoever. I don't blame them. Don't waste your time finding Voodoo Island. This is just another one. Uh, it wasn't even in the Caribbean. You know, it had that whole exotic feel of the South Pacific and some weird island down there and, and voodoo and whatever. But, uh, man, that, that was about it. It uh, was really terrible. Uh, yeah, and you can talk about themes of, again, it's the, kind of the white man. It's the Western civilization coming into the island, rousing up the natives. You know, the whole thing about the culture clash going on there. But really, it's not worth taking my time to talk about. So, Voodoo Island, I don't want to talk about it anymore. It gets a 3 out of 10 from me. Skip it. Midnight Cory is a listener-supported show, and if you'd like to join in helping to support MNC, you can by heading over to midnightcory.com slash give me your money. Here's where you'll find a handful of the links including the PayPal donation button that helps support the show. We do have a few expenses here at Midnight Corey Central, and your donations help keep us going. Now, another way you can help the show is by heading over to MidnightCorey.com slash things, and you'll find a handful of movies that we desperately want to review here at Midnight Corey. But we cannot get through Netflix right now. If you're interested in advertising with Midnight Cory, we can certainly do that too. Just email us at cashmoney at midnightcory.com for our rates, and we'll make it happen. Last but not least, you can always support the show by spreading the word. Tell your friends, chat us up on message boards and other forums, and share them. Midnight Cory. Love, baby. Hi, this is Lauren calling from Oregon, and I got—I just listened to the most recent podcast, and it was great. Um, I'm listening for a while, so I decided to finally call into the voicemail of death. I recently um, just watched Lake Mungo on my Netflix. It's a great, great ghost movie. I—it's a high recommend. Um, I watched it a few weeks ago, so I can't really remember off the top of my head right now. I was just calling in to get your opinion on Quentin Tarantino, what you think of his films in general, and whatnot. Um, again, your podcast is amazing. It 
keeps me going through the very boring week. All right, that is it. Keep up the great work, and I can't wait for the next show. Bye. Lauren from Oregon, welcome to the family. <laughs> Thank you for calling the voicemail. That's very cool. Haven't heard from you before, and uh, it, it's great to hear new people. Um, it, it gives me a little confidence in what I'm doing here that maybe somebody's listening. I don't know. <laughs> But thank you so much for your kind words and that you do listen to the show. That's great. Um, Lake Mungo, I have never seen it, but I put it on my Netflix queue. So as we speak, it is there. And uh, I appreciate that uh, that you brought that up. I, I don't think I've ever heard much about that, but uh, now you've piqued my interest and I am going to watch it and I'll review it on the show. So thank you for that. Um, now, let's talk about Quentin Tarantino. A lot of people are divided on this guy. Um, I'm a big fan. I, I really am. I love Reservoir Dogs. I love Pulp Fiction. I love Jackie Brown. Uh, I love um, uh, uh, Death Proof. I thought that was, uh, yeah, well, you know, it was really good. It's I don't think it, Death Proof was actually as good as uh, some of his earlier ones. Um, but, and here's where I'm going to be just like totally disqualifying myself as any kind of film fan at all, but uh, I have not seen either of the Kill Bill movies. I haven't seen Inglorious Bastards. Um, I, I've heard great things about all of those films. Um, but to be honest with you, um, I was starting to get a little tired of, of Tarantino's thing. He just seemed to have a thing, you know, very dialogue heavy. And I think it's not necessarily his fault, but I think a lot of people have emulated Tarantino so much over the years because Tarantino is such a brilliant guy that I kind of got tired of the whole really heavy, kind of quirky dialogue that a lot of people do emulating Tarantino. Um, so I kind of lost interest in him there for a while, which is why I haven't seen a lot of his newer things. But uh, I know there was a lot of wonderful things about Inglorious Bastards. I can't wait to see it. And uh, eventually I will see both of the Kill Bill movies. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah. So I, I think Tarantino is great. I love his philosophy about filmmaking. I love... Um, I love his musical tastes. I love his his taste in film, uh, how he loves the whole grindhouse things. You know, one of the first movies that I went back to and watched on Quentin Tarantino's recommendation, because I think his his production company or whatever he owns, um, they re-released this movie was uh, Detroit 5000. <laughs> I loved that movie. I loved it. Um, so, yeah, yeah, that's, uh, you know, I think Tarantino is a great guy. Uh, I think he should keep doing his thing, and uh, yeah, so there. Lauren, thank you again for calling. It really means a lot, and uh, I hope to hear from you again. is a movie I've been looking forward to for a long time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was hype about it while it was being made. Uh, this is a French film called The Horde, or La Horde, if you want to say it as the original French title. 
Oh man, um, Arrow Video sent this over to me as part of the wonderful stuff that they sent me this week. They are such fantastic people. It's being released right now, it's already been released as a matter of fact, in the UK by Momentum Pictures. And uh, oh, you gotta get this. This is so, so worth it. Um, what we got here is uh, basically two rival gangs, uh, but they're not, they're not really gangs. Uh, one is a group of gangsters, the other is a group of police officers, cops, um, because these gangsters over here murdered one of the cops, so the cops want revenge on the gangsters, so the cops go to the big looming gangster hideout, which is this huge old building, old abandoned warehouse thing, lots of floors, old, creepy, fantastic atmosphere. So they get there, they go into the building, and uh, that's where things start going bad. This is where the whole zombie thing hits. Uh, while they're inside the building, beginning to fight each other, uh, zombies appear outside. And these are fast zombies. Um, yeah. And for this movie, I didn't care. I didn't care. What we see from here on out is they're trying to survive. They're trying to figure out what is going on. They have very little contact with the outside world. This place is abandoned, not a whole lot going on, but they can see in the background the burning city. Uh, they can see all kinds of things uh, just going wrong. And of course, hordes of these zombies uh, invading the building, trying to get in there. They have to defend the building. They have internal conflicts. They got things going on. You got, uh, you got the cops having to team up with the gangsters to try to survive. And even though they still hate each other, they got to team up with each other to try to figure out how to survive or even how to escape the building. And then you have infighting, you know, people who uh, were kind of on the same side at the beginning of the movie all of a sudden start turning on each other for a lot of different reasons. And there are a lot of twists and turns in there. Uh, and the ending is, uh, is huge. The ending is huge. Oh, 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 this is so good. Like I said, fast zombies, and I didn't mind. Actually, this was great. This could perhaps be my favorite fast zombie movie of all time. Hands down, uh, it, it could. The only other fast zombie movie that I can begin to compare this with is Dawn of the Dead 2004. Because that, that's, uh, that, but probably before I saw this, that was probably my favorite fast zombie movie. Um, if you, I don't know, if you don't count Return of the Living Dead, but that's a whole different argument there. So for all intents and purposes, up until now, basically Dawn of the Dead 2004 was my favorite fast zombie movie. It, it, that was a fantastic film. I think they did fast zombies right. Um, if there is, if that's possible, but, uh... <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, oh, oh, the the reason that I'm okay with these zombies is first of all they are actual zombies in that they are already dead. That's expressed several times in the film. Um, these zombies are also very angry. Uh, they are, uh, you know, they try to give reasoning for why this is happening, and it's great that they never give a reason why the the whole zombie outbreak happened. Uh, they they theorize, they philosophize about it a little bit. But, uh, you know, they, they can't quite figure out uh, what's going on. So we just see pure action and survival here. But, uh, yeah, yeah, they, they say, well, maybe they're starving. They're dying of hunger, so that's why they're so mad or, you know, something like that. Maybe they're, maybe they're just screaming for help, you know, to be released. I, I don't know. But, uh, yeah, a few philosophical things going on there. But, man, man, this was great. The violence was thick. Oh, the violence was great. Uh, it, it was a very action-filled 
a thing here. We had great zombie fighting scenes. Oh, man, great pacing. Um, they did cool things, and uh, th this movie, it actually, I think it, it borrowed a lot of elements from a lot of great zombie movies that really made this work. They didn't steal anything by any, by any stretch of the imagination, unless, you know, you think that they're stealing the whole zombie idea, but uh, no, it's pretty much open to whatever anymore. But um, they messed with the frame rate in a lot of the action sequences, like they did in 28 Days Later. You know, uh, part of the, the cool look of 28 Days, and you know what I'm talking about if you've seen it, is because they mess with the frame rate. They may, uh, you know, uh, skip frames, or they may speed things up a little bit, or slow things down a little bit, and they mess with it for effect, and it gives a really creepy kind of jittery effect to the fast zombies, which is really, really effective. A lot of it reminded me of Reservoir Dogs. We have the whole gangster element here, you know, with the guns and the drugs and the fierce loyalty to each other, the fierce loyalty to family. And uh, a, a lot of the, uh, the infighting then that occurs there reminded me a lot of what was going on in Reservoir Dogs. In Reservoir Dogs, you got a group of thieves and they're all uh, cooped up together after a big heist and you see what goes down, the infighting, the bad things whenever they're confined and whenever they're under extreme circumstances. And I saw a lot of that here. It was really, really good. And of course, you know, I got a lot of the feel from the original Dawn of the Dead and the original Day of the Dead. Also two great Arrow releases that they sent me because they're fantastic people. <laughs> but uh, no, you know, you know, in, in Day of the Dead and in Dawn of the Dead, you get parts in the movie where the people are just having way too much fun, uh, really going to town on these zombies. You know, um, for example, Roger in uh, Dawn of the Dead is having a little too much fun bashing those zombies with the trucks. And he's starting to lose his head a little bit. We see that in here and we see that confronted, that dealt with. And, uh, of course, we see, we've seen a lot of that in Day of the Dead, too. So, oh, oh man, this did so many things right. Oh, the, the whole movie is very grim, very foreboding, very uneasy, uh, very dark. A lot of high contrast things going on, but uh, very just fantastic. And uh, the characters are really good. I mean, you're... you're you get a little bit of depth there. Your character loyalty kind of goes back and forth. You know, who is the good guy now? Who's the bad guy now? Well, he's not cool with him, so he's the good guy and he's the bad guy. And you don't know. It keeps going back and forth. Uh, of course, uh, my favorite character is the old guy, the old war vet, who is nuts, but he is awesome at the same time. And I just got to say that one of my favorite scenes in this is the grenade scene towards the end. You'll know what I'm talking about, but you got to see it. It involves the old guy, and it is awesome. I can equate it with the um, the Samuel Amish guy scene uh, from Diary of the Dead. So awesome, awesome. Uh, this thing is just, uh, you know, it's, it's full of explosive scenes of violence. I mean, <laughs> there are drawn-out scenes where they're just beating the crap out of zombies. And the zombies, of course, they are basically your traditional headshot zombies, despite they're not really traditional in that they are fast. But uh, the, the gangsters and the cops just beat the crap out of these zombies, and it's great. The one towards the beginning of the movie, the, the one uh, woman who is in there with them, is beating the crap out of this woman zombie. And uh, they're in this kitchen of the one apartment, and the girl is just bashing her with everything she can find, where eventually she tips over the refrigerator to finally finish off the zombie. It, it's just great. And I gotta say... 
that perhaps the coolest scene of the movie, and you've seen this in previews if you've seen uh, previews for The Horde, is uh, in the parking garage, uh, the, the whole thing where the guy is standing on top of the car and there are just hundreds of zombies surrounding him trying to get at him. That scene right there, uh, it, it gave me chills. And just thinking about it now gives me chills. There, actually, I got chills in a, a lot of parts of this movie. But this one especially... And um, how it starts off is the guy is in the parking garage, and uh, he has nothing to lose. He's been bitten. He knows he's going to die, so he's kind of playing hero, where uh, he is meeting the oncoming horde of zombies head-on. And uh, he's going to try to stall them while the rest of the people uh, run to safety, try to survive. So uh, he's there. He has a gun and a machete and some knives and things like that. And he meets the zombies head-on. And he basically, he goes and just collides with this group of zombies. And it's uh, it's something, I don't know why I'm so taken with a scene like this. It reminded me of a scene such as in the original Night of the Living Dead. If you think about it, uh, Ben goes out in the truck to, to try to get gas. Of course, you know, bad things happen. Truck blows up. Ben has to go through the zombie horde uh, just with nothing but a torch and to try to get back to the house. And that scene always really scared me. I, I always was very scared, you know, what would happen? And of course I was a little kid, but I'm just like, you know, what would happen? What would I do if I was surrounded by zombies? And uh, that was always a very scary thing to me. So seeing this scene again in the horde, where this guy just goes headlong into a group of zombies, and he's shoving them aside, he's punching them, he's doing everything he can to try to get through them and to, to try to basically stall them from going after the other people, um, it, it, really, it really spoke to me. It gave me chills, man. This, this was good. This was good, good stuff. So, okay. Okay, enough about this movie. I'm gushing over it. I feel like a little schoolgirl here, just all giggly, <laughs> like I have my first crush or something, and I, I can't stop talking about the boy in my, you know, in my math class. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, yeah, so there we go. Pick this up. Um, again, this is UK. This is Aero Video. Uh, Momentum Pictures release, Region 2, but you must get this. I don't care where in the world you are get a Region 2 DVD player, or you can watch it in your computer. It's very easy to unlock most uh, DVD drives in the computer. That's what I did with mine. And uh, you can watch this. you got to watch The Horde. This is the best zombie movie to come out in a long time. Um, the only movie, quality-wise, that uh, really did things for me like this, uh, the way that, that this has, uh, was Colin. Uh, which I saw last year. Colin is a fantastic movie. It's a whole different caliber because The Horde is a huge budget movie. You can tell. But uh, yeah. Subtitles. Don't get scared away by the subtitles. You don't even realize they're there after a while. So quit your crying. All right. Thank you again to my friends at Arrow Video. I give The Horde, The Horde, a 9 out of 10. The only reason I'm docking at a point, I wanted to give it a perfect 10. But again, this is not Dawn of the Dead 1978, which is a 10 out of 10, uh, or Day of the Dead 85, which is a 10 out of 10, or Night of the Living Dead 68, which is a 10 out of 10. Um, and these are fast zombies. I prefer slow zombies to fast zombies, even though this really did it right. So yeah, 9 out of 10. Go buy the Horde. Go buy the Horde. I'm going to tell you a thousand times, go buy the Horde. It's alive. It's alive. Can you hear me? It can't be saved. It's gonna die. It's alive. It's alive. Why are you so anxious to be the one to die?
It's alive. It's alive. Nobody knows how this thing happened. It, it's really a matter of speculation, and I think perhaps that's for the best. After all, if we find out that the cause is medication that we manufacture, and it was administered over a long period of time, well, it... What do your interests recommend? Absolute destruction of this thing. It went down the storm drains. That's how it can travel the length of the city without anybody seeing it. Don't touch me. Don't you touch me. They stole my baby. Come on, get down. Did you see it? Did you see it? What does it look like? What are you afraid of? Get those cameras out of my face, please. I got no comment. They had nothing to do with this. Will you get that thing out of my face? Get out of the way! He could have killed you. You know why he didn't? You know why he didn't kill you? You've never been exposed to radioactivity in radioactive material or undergone extensive x-rays. No, Doctor, I told you. Can't rule out uh, genetic damage. My department has already cautioned the police about excessive violence. If it could be dispatched with a bullet, or, or better still, some kind of a gas. Undoubtedly, it is very small, and any kind of bodily harm, especially from gunshots or, or explosives. In other words, you want me uh, to sign away the body, is that it? Well, it's your right. After all, you are the child's father. If you got Netflix, like I got Netflix, you can watch stuff online. They got their streaming thing. I don't endorse Netflix whatsoever. They're not paying me. Uh, I don't got any friends there, but I use Netflix and I think it's a great service. So let's talk about a movie that I watched uh, here within the past couple weeks. Um, I, I, it's called It's Alive, 1974. I, I, I haven't seen this just before I watched it here a couple weeks ago. I actually watched it twice. Um... And going into it, I had no idea about it. Uh, I knew it came to me on a high recommendation by some people, and uh, I was expecting uh, a fast-paced kind of slasher thing, uh, maybe a little monster movie, something like that. Um, but uh, it turned out to be nothing like I expected, which was a good thing, which is a good thing. It was a pleasant, pleasant surprise. Uh, Larry Cohen wrote, directed, produced this one. Uh, and here's what it's about. Uh, there's a, a woman, her and her husband are expecting their second child. Now, this woman has been taking some experimental fertility pills after having been on the birth control pill for, I think, a few years. So they're expecting, she goes into labor, and uh, she gives birth to her second child, which is a large, deformed killer. 
<laughs> as soon as the thing's born, it murders pretty much everybody in the room except the mother and escapes from the hospital, jumps out the roof. And it murders everybody that it encounters. And uh, the police get involved. It's a huge thing. Lots of murders. Everything. It's on the news. And uh, we come to learn that this, this little mutant deformed baby thing uh, murders because it's very frightened. And it will kill uh, when scared. Uh, and that's all I'm going to tell you about it. There, there, there's just a lot that goes into it. And you really have to see this. Um, first and foremost, I think it's a big... Uh, statement, you know, when you look at it, you know, what's the movie saying? Well, it's a big statement about, of course, uh, experimental drugs, prescription drugs, uh, chemicals, pesticides, things like that, and the effect that they have on people, uh, particularly in this case, pregnant women. Um, although it, it's not stated in the movie that that is the cause of what's going on here, um, it's pretty much an accepted thing. You get the point. Uh, but it also has things to say, I think, about the relationships between men and women and how they deal with things. Because so much of this movie is uh, kind of how the mother and father are handling this. Basically, they're both going crazy. They're both going nuts. <laughs> and, uh, but it ha like I said, it has something to say about roles of, of men and women. Um, you know, even in this extreme situation that we see here, uh, despite the fact, like I said, that they're going both crazy. You know, women are uh, more emotional, but they're more nurturing at the same time. Whereas the men tend to more, you know, they tend to be problem solvers. And let's just get this problem taken care of and move on. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. But, uh, man, 1974. Yeah, yeah. This is a great movie for 1974. Very high quality. Uh, really, really good. You know, it, it just reminds me of the good old days. The good old days when one could freely smoke in the halls of hospitals. Oh, man. And you can't do that anymore. Just can't do that anymore. And this, oh, th those were the days. Those were the days. <laughs> but like I said, this movie just works. It works. I love the mise-en-scene. It's a French phrase, mise-en-scene. It's used by a lot of people that like to pretend to be very smart when it comes to film. Basically, uh, it refers to everything, all the elements the style, everything that goes into the making of a film to make it the way that it is. And this movie is so good at that, using things like lighting and the audio. You know, we have great Foley work and sound effects here, as well as a great score. Uh, the way the camera moves, the camera angles, the blocking, where they put things, how people move. Um, the visual effects that we see, uh, such as the, uh, the kind of double picture blurry effect when they have a POV shot of the little mutant baby, you know, things like that. Everything that goes into it really makes this a creepy movie, um, as well as the great slow pacing. You know, we just don't get movies like this anymore. We don't get movies that contemplate and that really are so psychological and really burrow inside of you, kind of like this one does. You know, the closest that I can think of in uh, recent history would be House of the Devil, the, uh, the really good Ty West movie. Now, I talked about that a while back, and how I was a bit underwhelmed by that one uh, for reasons that that wasn't so much because it was a slow-paced movie for the most part, but uh, because I thought it was uneven, blah, blah, blah. I talked to Vaughn about that not long ago. But, uh, you know, so that's that's something that I can think of. But, man, man, it was just really good. You know, the, the, I mean, House of the Devil doesn't hold a candle to this one. Uh, but everything is just so deliberate and a little bit drawn out, but it's not like boring drawn out. It's a very psychological thing. 
Um, we have great moments of suspense that's once again helped out by the rest of the elements that they use, such as the lighting and the way they edited and uh, the audio effects, the, the score. Um, there was great acting. You know, I, I was really, really impressed. Um, and, uh, oh. Man, it was just just really really cool, and a lot of the a lot of the terror and a lot of the foreboding kind of dread that you feel during the movie comes from things that you don't even necessarily see on screen, but things that are implied, you know, like uh, moving bushes, things like that. Something was just in the bushes. What was that? They were just moving and shaking, you know, toys that are uh, pushed across the floor, but you don't see who pushed them, but you know it's probably that killer baby. And POV shots, like I was talking about, things like that. Um, but, uh, the, you know, it's not to say that everything is implied. You do see some really great stuff. There's a lot of violence. Um, the short flashes that you see of the baby was done really well. I know they used a combination of uh, puppetry and also uh, makeup, things like that. And uh, it's really, really cool. The baby has claws and sharp teeth and this weird misshapen head and big eyes and ugh. Oh, it's just great. A lot of cool scenes in the movie, like the milkman scene. Oh, milkman's delivering milk. Uh, it's the old-fashioned way. You know, it's the actual bottles. He actually drove down the street in his little milk truck and had glass bottles of milk and left them on your doorstep. And, uh, yeah, baby gets in the milk truck because, of course, it's a baby. Baby wants milk. And, uh, yeah, he kills the milkman. And bottles of milk are breaking. There's milk flowing out of the back of this truck and streaming down the street. And as the baby kills the milkman, which you don't see, you only hear, um, it, you see blood mixing with the milk and all of that weird mixture flowing down the street too. Just a great scene, a great scene. Um, another scene that's really cool is inside the school when the baby's crawling along the floor towards the policeman and the POV shots and the spooky terror, uh, you know, just, oh, oh <laughs> so good. Uh, the sewer scene towards the end uh, with the lighting and, and the feel down there. Oh, there is so much of this movie that is great. Clear up until the very last line of the movie. Absolutely wonderful. Um, uh, Cohen went on to write and direct two sequels to this, which is expected. If you see the end of the movie, you expect a sequel. And I would be very interested in seeing them. I really would. After seeing this, uh, It's Alive from 1974 gets a high recommendation by me. So high, in fact, that I'm going to give it an 8 out of 10. Hey, Corey. It's Mike from Brooklyn. I spent a lot of time on the road, um, either with my band or with other bands, uh, driving and tour managing. And uh, rocking. just want to let you know that today, I listened to about five consecutive shows, actually between today and yesterday. Had a hell of a drive. Listened to about five of your consecutive cat podcasts nonstop. Overnight drives, and it actually helped me get through the intense travel situation I had to deal with. Um, anyway, keep up the good work. Oh, and also, just want to know if you've heard of a film called Autumn. Um, I read about it online about a year ago. It's a, a zombie movie that uh, looked really cool. And uh, I haven't heard of any sort of uh, release. There was a, a bit of uh, you know, information available online, some reviews of a script that was floating around in the trailer. And that was about it. Figured you'd be the guy who would know. Um, anyway, keep up the good work. And uh, take care. Hey, Mike, it's great to hear from you again, man. Um, that's really interesting that uh, you do a lot of traveling with bands and you're involved with bands a lot there because I'd be interested in hearing 
um, what bands you're involved with and uh, things like that. Yeah, I always love, you know, discovering new stuff. And uh, I'm, I'm very sorry to hear that you listen to five of my podcasts consecutively. Oh, I'm surprised you're still around, man, that you, you made it. <laughs> but I appreciate that. Uh, that's very flattering. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Um, and yes, I have heard of the movie Autumn. No, I have no idea how to see it. Um, but I have heard good things about it. I think it might have been someone like, uh, oh, I don't know, Florida Possum, like last year. Uh, told me about it and wondered if I ever saw it and uh, no but uh, I've heard good things about it and I appreciate you bringing that back up to me because I'd like to find out more about it so I'm going to start looking uh, more things up but yeah heard it's really good so Mike great to hear from you as always man I told you any damn idiot can make that racket. There ain't nothing to that mess. There ain't a damn thing to it. It takes talent to play country western. It don't take no damn talent to play that mess. I mean, a damn 15-year-old punk can do it. Uh, once again, bringing original music this week, and uh, this song is 100% original. I wrote all the words, wrote all the music, everything, and I recorded everything, again, very quickly. Um, once I get the whole creative thing going, it usually uh, it, it goes fairly smoothly. Now, the exception is I'm working on another song right now that uh, has some very intricate bass work in it, and I'm having some issues getting some perfect clean takes of that so that's going to take me a while but anyhow this one um yeah went very smoothly i think it's really cool i want you to do a, i want you to do me a favor though uh before you listen to this i want you to get up from where you're sitting right now unless you're in the car then you don't have to do this but uh right now right now get up from your seat get up from your seat wherever you are and uh make a little room for yourself kind of push the chair away maybe uh you know get some get some things you don't want to knock anything over and uh Get ready to dance, because that's what I want you to do. Oh, yeah. This song is called Under.
it i've done a lot of talking this week oh boy thank you for listening this is midnight cory yep yep what can you do sorry for the horrible quality of this show uh next week uh talking about the woman eater 1957 uh this is the next uh movie in the 50s that i want to talk about uh that's uh i don't know i don't know i haven't heard good things about this one either but we're gonna look at it uh, yeah. So other than that, I'm going to tell you about other things. Um, I'm going to tell you about zombie influx from Buzzworks. Uh, I talked about it last year, come October. And, uh, I've been talking to my friend Buzz, seen him at conventions and stuff. He's a wonderful guy. So yeah, yeah. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about other things and, uh, I'll have more original music and all that good stuff, man, you're going to want to wear your party hat. So, yes, um, go to midnightcory.com. That is where all this junk originates from. Voicemail of death number is 814-806-2828. Love hearing from Yin's guys. And, uh, yeah, go listen to other podcasts, too. There are a lot of cool ones out there, but a lot of ones that suck and are run by people who are doing it for the wrong reasons. And you want to find out their intentions before you listen, because they're, they're grubby and they're greasy and they're oily and tainted and... Evil. Evil. <laughs> yeah, whatever. Whatever. But, uh, yep. Uh, thanks for listening. Next week, I'll have another podcast tell you about uh, what's going on at Cinema Wasteland this weekend, where I'm going to meet up with Big Ugly Harry Scary, Misfit Boy, Root Rot. Oh, oh yeah. The whole gang is going to be there. It's going to be cool. So, thanks, and talk to you later.
Where you gonna go? Where you gonna go?